Well, my message is not really that catchy of a sermon. I'm not real good at sermon titles. I just, whatever. Here comes the bride. Here comes the bride, all dressed in white. But I want to talk about the bride. That's us. And there's so much in there that God wants to reveal to us. We've been talking about God's times and his purposes, and he's put us in planet Earth for such a time as this. Each and every one of us is part of his last days, his end days purposes. But I think it's so important that we have an understanding of how he sees us. He sees us as a bride. He really does. And when we begin to see ourselves the way he sees us, we begin to, to know what his purposes are for us in these days. And these days are evil. These days that we're in, they are evil. You see, we need to move beyond. And this is something that has happened in the Western world over the last hundred years. The gospel has gone out. It really has. Amazing. People have been reached with the gospel. People groups who were never reached have been reached over the last hundred years. Incredible. But what needs to be preached and proclaimed and taught is the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And we oftentimes miss that. We've preached a gospel of salvation. And I love that he saves us. We all need salvation. We all need to be born again. But it is not the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And salvation is the door that we enter into that kingdom. And it's important for the ecclesia, the church, the body of Messiah, the bride, to understand that truth. Yeshua is at the center of God's eternal plan for tikkun olam. That term that I've been using the last few weeks, tikkun olam, the repairing, the restoration of all things, the restoration of the world. And Yeshua is at the center of God's eternal plan for the restoration of the world. A restoration of a righteous dominion of a king and a redeemed family. And that's what I want to talk about today when I talk about the bride, is a redeemed family. We need to see ourselves as a family. And I've been blessed. I, I, my family was a good family. We had our issues. We had our source of, we had our dysfunctions, like every family has their dysfunctions. But I'm thankful for my, for my family, and I know that right now there's very little of my family left, but... I'm thankful for my family. They taught me some things about family. But unfortunately, there's many in the body of Messiah who don't have a view or have a vision or have a, an idea of what normal, I shouldn't even say normal because every, there is, I don't know what, anybody here from a normal family? Oh, Jared, all right. One day he's going to share what a normal family looks like. But you know, we need to have that view that God created family. He created us in his image. I want to be talking about that today. So we talk about Yeshua being at the center of this tikkun olam, the restoration 
of the whole world. And at his side is a kalah, hakalah, the bride. At his side is you and me, all of us who are in the body, the bride, at his side. And so the bride, along with the groom, is the nexus of God's purpose. That word nexus means the central and most important point or focus. A nexus is the central, most important point of focus. Yeshua and his bride. Now, let me make clear. Yeshua, the son, the son of God, he enjoyed perfect union, perfect satisfaction in relationship with the father and with the Ruach HaKodesh. Perfect satisfaction. A picture of a family, that is a perfect family. That is what family is supposed to look like. The triune God always was about family and relationship. The son was given a companion to share his inheritance. That's us. Flesh and spirit. He took on our flesh because God is spirit. And first of all, you all need to know, we all need to know, I need to be reminded of this. We are spirit beings who live in a body and have a soul. But first and foremost, we are all spirit beings. That is the central part of who we are, a, a spirit being, okay? And we live in a body, an earth suit, okay, to, to relate to planet Earth around us. And we have a soul, a mind, will, and emotions. But the central part of who we are is spirit. God is spirit. You can't see him and say, did you see God? He's spirit. Some of us have that, you know, we've had a vision of God or we, you know, we've been blessed to see angels or whatever, but he is spirit. But yet the son was given a companion to share his inheritance. And so Yeshua took on our flesh. He left that perfect family in heaven, took on our flesh. And guess what? He imparted and gave us his spirit. So there's that commission, there's that, there, that coming together of flesh and spirit. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was Yeshua. Yeshua is the divine. He is the, 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 the Torah from heaven. Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same humanity. See, God gave man dominion over the planet earth. We blew it, forfeited that dominion, gave it to the devil. Yeshua had to come to earth in flesh, in blood to redeem it back. Fully God, fully man. Hallelujah. That's good news. So that through the death, his death, he might break the power of the one who had the power of death, the devil. And free those who by fear of death were in bondage all their lives. That's why Yeshua put on flesh and blood to come to earth to die so that we can be reunited with him and that holy family. 2 Peter 1.4, I love this. Through these things, whenever you see a scripture, okay, does that mean anything? No worries. Through these things, what things? 
Anybody know what he's talking about here? Peter's writing this letter. Through these things, what is he talking about? Well, let me help you on that since I've got a little bit of a headway on that, you know? His divine power. His divine power. The knowledge of Yeshua. Our knowledge of Yeshua. His glory and virtue. That's because of these things, through these things, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Look to each other and just say, if you've got somebody sitting next to you, say, you are a partaker of the divine nature. You. Say it out loud. You are partaker of the divine nature. Boy, we could do better than that, but we'll pass him. Since you have escaped the corruption that evil desires have brought into the world, through him we can escape the evil desires and the corruption that's in the world. Amen? See, when we're united with Yeshua, this is what the scriptures talk about as sonship. I saw, you know, so we're going to be interchanging. You can interchange sonship, but also the bride, fully walking in brideship, sonship. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Ruach Elohim, these are sons of God. If sons, it goes on to say, if sons, we are also heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah. You see, there's a marriage. And in Hebrew, the word marriage is nesuim, marriage. There's a marriage that's taken place between Yeshua and us. And so we're going to be talking about that today. And that is the nexus of family. And it's also a prophetic vision of what the messianic age will be like when we are united with the, brood, the groom, the bride and the groom, united, reigning and ruling over planet Earth. It's a picture of the glorious marriage that Paul calls a great mystery. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I forgot to read this at the beginning. I think it starts at... Um, what verse are we starting at? Uh, is it 15? If we can go back to verse 15. We'll come into these verses here. But Ephesians 5, 15. So pay close attention how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Do we got it up there? Yeah. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is recklessness. Instead, be filled with the Ruach, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of Yeshua, Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Also submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Messiah. This is, this is family protocol. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Messiah also is the head of this community. Himself the savior of the body. But as Messiah's community is submitted to Messiah, so also the wives to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as 
Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by immersion in the word. Messiah did this so that he might present to himself his glorious community, not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but in order that she might be holy and blameless. In the, na- in the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Messiah also does his community, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I am talking about Messiah and his community. You see, many times we hear this passage of scripture, and it's done, it's 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 okay. It's it's a teaching on marriage responsibility and accountability, but it's far deeper than that. Far deeper. If you just look at it as a family or husband, wife. We're missing the main point because it's talking about our relationship to Messiah. We need to understand this because he says this is a great mystery. He says he's talking about, we just read in verse 31 and 32, he's talking about the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am talking about Messiah and his community more so than even a husband and wife. We need to understand because there has been such an attack on family. You all know it because you've experienced it in your own families. I can almost guarantee it. And yet, you got to understand why there's an attack on family because if we destroy, if the devil destroys the family, that is a, a picture of God. That's a picture of the Messiah and the Father. That's a picture of what family is supposed to look like, what we're to look like. And so you know he's working overtime to destroy the family. I want to say something, and I want to say this, and then I'm going to get back to talking about family. It's not being political. I'm just saying this as an observation. America is not a racist nation. America is not a racist nation, okay? The issue, I don't believe this core issue is not race. The core issue has always been sin. And I've been in over 40 nations. And what's racism? I know there are people in America who are maybe racist. I don't deny that at all. But I've been in other countries where there's bigotry, anti-Semitism and racism. We're not unique in that. America is not a racist nation. And I don't believe that there is anything called systemic racism. I'm just saying that to get that out there. And I want to talk about family in light of that because you hear a lot about the African-American family. And I really believe that the enemy, the devil, has poured out an onslaught of demonic stuff against the African-American family. And that is what's going on a lot today. Let me give you an example. Let me, data. Everybody's into data these days and in, in, in facts. In 1950, almost 80% 
of African-American families were two-parent households, mom and dad and children in the same, 80%. Today, 80%, almost 80%, one single-family parent, flip-flop, in the last 60 years in the African-American family. Now, that's not to say that other, you know, I even put it into dividing thing between white and Latino. They've all experienced, we've all experienced an increase in single parenthood in our families, every race, but especially, especially in the African-American family. And so what happens is the father in many places, in many times, is absent from the family. The father's image is imparted into the children. Identity is imparted into the children from the father. You take the father out, the children don't know who they are. That's the truth. And so a young black man, the problem is not young black men being gunned down by cops every single day. That, that's a narrative that is false, that is false, that is false. That's not the case. Does it happen? Yes. Is it tragic? Yes, absolutely. But what the problem is, is there's an absence of healthy family, especially the father image in the families. And that's not just for the African-American community. That's for all of our families. They, and so if the father's not there, where do they get their identity from? From gangs? From hip-hop music? From the streets? Because every young boy, every young girl is looking for some family to be part of. And if the God-ordained family of father, mother, and being in the family together is not there, they will find family somewhere else. This is why Paul is talking in here. The love of a husband and a wife reflects God's eternal purpose for family. What he envisioned from the very beginning. See, Paul lays it out in a practical teaching on marriage, and it is a practical teaching on marriage, but it's also a covenant explanation of the Messiah and his bride. Matter of fact, I think it's even more so a covenant explanation of the relationship between the Messiah and the bride. You see, if you look at the book of Ephesians, the first four chapters of Ephesians, it's a powerful book. It's one of the most important books in the New Testament. We read about his glorious power working in us. It's also the, the laid out where we see the one new man, Jew and Gentile, and in one in Messiah. And the Gentiles are now seen by Paul, a Jewish apostle. They're joint heirs. This was a huge revelation to the apostle Paul and to the early church that these Gentiles that are coming in by the droves, they're actually joint heirs. And then we read in Ephesians chapter 4, there's the unity of the body and the five-fold ministry. What is the purpose of the five-fold ministry? Just so that we can all have titles? To build up the body, to equip the body to share the kingdom with the rest of the world. And so it's explained in Ephesians chapter 4. So that's what we come in into. See, we tend to cherry-pick the scriptures we take a verse or a passage or a passage of verses from the, the scriptures and, and we don't look at it as a love letter 
from, from God to us. As a, take it as a whole. So now we're talking about the nexus of God's plans is that we would be a holy habitation for his presence. A holy habitation for his presence. You know, we sing that song, nobody but you. And that's a picture of, we said, God, fill this place. Fill this place. What do we want to fill this place with? His holy presence. He desires to fill us more than we desire to have him fill us. I guarantee that. He wants us to be a house of prayer. He wants us to be a house of habitation for his presence. See, marriage and family is a prophetic picture of the messianic age to come. Us ruling and reigning together with our King Yeshua. So we need to conduct our daily family lives in light of this plan to love one another. It starts in family. And I know many maybe didn't come from the most loving family, and we need to be refathered, reparented by the holy, the holy God. And, and that's what congregation is all about. Congregation is first and foremost a family. It's not a ministry company doing services. Let me say that again. We are first and foremost a family, brothers and sisters. We're not just a ministry company or corporation doing services together, singing songs together. That's not what it's about. If we lose sight of that, we lose sight of what God's purpose for family is and for kehila, for community. We're held together by an organic covenant. We're held together by an organic covenant as the same way that human body is held together by organic matter. You ever heard of the word laminin? Anybody? Okay, I know some of us have a word that, you know, I, I, I had, I probably heard of it, but I'd forgotten about it. Laminin is a molecular foundation for all cells, for every cell and every organ in our bodies. There's so much more, but I am not a molecular biologist to tell you all that, but there's so much more. It influences every cell. Laminin influences every cell. How many cells are in our body? You're, you know all this. Trillions? You can't, how many cells? And this, this, this thing called laminin. Hold that. Just don't get ahead of me. Stop. Stop. In the name of. Nope, don't go there. I know, I get excited about this too. But laminin keeps everything together. It's the organic matter, that DNA, that it's in our DNA that keeps our bodies functioning. You know what it looks like? Put up what it looks like. Is there another diagram there too? I don't know, maybe it's just a coincidence. What is that? That's amazing. It is the cross of Yeshua. This, his DNA is in us, keeps us together. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, without that, we do not hold together. That's what I'm saying. We are, first and foremost, a 
spiritual being. We're a spiritual community. We just happen to be wearing earth suits. Some are better than others. Some are older than others. Some are younger than others. But this is not permanent. I guarantee that. I think that is so awesome. When I saw that, wow, that's incredible. I'm just, <laughs> I love it. But it is enough to get excited about when we begin to see how God from the very beginning, that's why in Psalm 139 says he knew us before there was anything formed in our mother's womb. Every thought, every every job, everything that we're going to be doing, he's, it's written in his plans. It's written in his books. It's written in his scrolls from before the foundations of the world. You see, this is who our God is. He is awesome. He is great. You see, Paul's example that he's using about the bride and the groom is it's, it's from the Tanakh. It's from the Old Testament. It's from the Torah. It's from the prophets. God spoke about Israel as being a wife. Did you know that? Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband, speaking to Israel. Your maker is your husband. Adonai Tsevaot is his name. The Lord God of angel armies who will fight for you just like a husband will fight for his marriage. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He will be called God of all the earth. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6. When I passed by you and saw you kicking in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you grow as myriads, like a branch of the field. You grew up, got tall, and came to full adornment. Your breasts were formed, your hair sprouted, you were naked, yet you were naked and bare. Again, I passed by you and saw, and behold, you were truly at the time of love. I spread out the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. What does that sound like? A picture of the kinsman redeemer, doesn't it? Boaz and Ruth. I swore, in, I swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, says Adonai. So you became mine. Then I washed you with water and rinsed off your blood from on you and anointed with you with oil. I clothed you with embroidery and put sandals of fine leather on you. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with jewelry, but put bracelets on your hands and a necklace on your neck. I put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a crown of glory in your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver, and your raiment was of fine linen, silk, and embroidery. Sounds like a wedding ceremony to me. You ate fine flour, honey, and vinegar. You became exceedingly beautiful and advanced to the kingdom. Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect. Through my splendor, which I bestowed on you, it is a declaration of Adonai. This is a picture of God with his bride, Israel. A covenant relationship with Israel in marriage. I believe that that wedding that Nisuim took place at Exodus chapter 19 in front of Mount Sinai. I will be your God and you will be my people. And they all said, we will, we will. We can also see and we can deduce from scriptures that the term elder brother 
is not in the scriptures, but we can deduce that the Jewish people are the elder brothers of a larger international redeemed family from the nations. Israel, always there. You see, a Jewish rem remnant began community. We see that in, in the Torah, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. He says, you are to say to Pharaoh, this is what Adonai says, Israel is my first, my son, my firstborn. So I have said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And then we see that this Jewish remnant in the book of Acts, and, and out of that Jewish remnant, an international ecclesia was born in the book of Acts. And then the salvation of Israel will end this. Romans eleven twenty six, where he says, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That's a covenantal promise. It began with God calling out Israel as his firstborn, as his wife, ending with his covenantal fulfillment in Jerusalem with the Jewish people. As Lee said, crying out, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. So let me bring this together. The mystery, this is Paul, and this is, this is what we need to know as the bride, as God's purposes, the mysteries, Jew and Gentile forming the bride together. That's why I'm so committed to unity in the body here in the metro area, but not just here, but all over. I feel like we're called to be a bridge to the Messianic Jewish body in Israel. We love the Messianic Jewish body in Israel. We support them. We love them. But we are also called to be a bridge to the Gentile church because there's only one church that I read the scriptures. There's only one. It's made up of Jew and Gentile. And it's international. It's in Korea. It's in China. It's in Ethiopia. It's all over. When we need to, and, and we have to be able to see this is part of the that being of the Messiah, the bride of the Messiah. See, this is God's plan from the very beginning. We see this in Genesis chapter 1. He says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them rule, and male and female, he created them in his image, in his likeness. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. There is the, the, um, the commission for family right there. Made in his image. Rule over everything. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the land. But we know what happened. Genesis chapter 3. Sin came into the picture. But still, did that change God's plan for his bride? Absolutely not. Now Yeshua had to come and redeem his bride from sin. And that's what the rest of the scriptures is all about. But the foundation for that is laid in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, it says, Adonai said, it is not, Adonai Elohim said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Let me make a well-matched helper for him. And we talk about that as a husband and wife, but I also see it, it's the groom Messiah with us. It's always been his attention. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. 
In this way, um, why a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. Let me stretch this a little bit. This is maybe even a prophetic picture of Yeshua leaving a divine household. Perfect satisfaction, perfect fulfillment to be joined with us. Wow, that is awesome. You think about that. And guess what? And this is good. This is, would you all stand with me as we begin to close things here? Is that's what all this cleansing is about. That's what all the shaking is about because he wants a bride that sees him as their groom. Because he sees us as his bride. And he's going to be returning to earth pretty soon, I think. Things are in place. I don't know when it's going to be next week, next year, 10 years, 50 years. I don't know, but things are coming into place. And guess what he's coming back for? A cleansed, sanctified, and glorified bride. That's what he's doing right now. Can you see it? Are your eyes able to see what's going on? You see, he wants a holy habitation. And that's what marriage is. It's a holy habitation between a husband and a wife. That's been his plan from the get-go, from Genesis chapter 1 and all the way through. That's, we can't lose sight of this. It's the gospel of the kingdom. He's going to be returning to claim his bride. And that, that's why he needs to Tikkun Olam is the restoration or the repair of the whole world. A renewed creation will be the environment where he lives and reigns with his bride. We're going to be living, ruling, and reigning with our groom, with Yeshua. Now, Peter, he's got provinces out there that you're going to be over. I don't know. Maybe they're Canadian. I don't know. Maybe they're from Botswana. I don't know, but he's given you but he's preparing you right now. Ginny, same thing. All of us are being prepared to rule in the reign from him because that was his plan from the very beginning. And I don't think he changes his mind. Well, that didn't work out. Let's try something else. God says, I made them in my image, in my likeness. And he's given them a dominion to rule and to reign. And yes, we lost that. We blew it. We still do at times. We blow it. But God is restoring us, renewing us, and sanctifying us, and cleansing us, and glorifying, and that he would be glorified in our midst. Creating us to rule and reign when he returns, to live and rule with his, brain, with his bride. I just want to read Psalm 133, and then we'll close. We sing this many times. We sing that. Let me read the words. It's a song of a sense, a sense of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. We should be in unity because we are family. It is like the precious oil of upon the head, coming down upon the beard, Aaron's beard, coming down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there Adonai 
commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I'm going to pray that our eyes would be open for us to see how he sees us. Because sometimes, you know, God wants us to hear what he's saying to us. But we have a hard time, especially when he says really beautiful, awesome things about who we are. We reject it outright. Well, God, you don't know. You don't know what I thought. You don't know what I did yesterday. And yet he says, you're my bride. You're beautiful. I've created you. And I've adorned you in beautiful, a beautiful outfits. Start believing what I say to you, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how wonderful and awesome it is. Start believing what he says about us. So, Father, in the name of Yeshua, I pray, and even those who are watching live stream, that each and every one of us would have a vivid vision understanding, impartation of how you see us. Sons and daughters walking in sonship. A bride committed to her groom. Lord, when we begin to see ourselves the way you see us, things change. Perspectives change. Worldviews change. Lord, we begin to see ourselves in the fabric of that beautiful garment that you are sewing together. Lord, we can only see it looking up and seeing the bottom part of it, but from your perspective, it is beautiful. Lord, help us to see ourselves as that beautiful remnant, that beautiful bride being woven into a tapestry to be used by you to rule and reign when you return. But Lord, you're preparing us now for that return. Let us not miss this. So I pray, Father, that our eyes would be open to see you high and lifted up and Lord, to see ourselves in that role of the bride to you. Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Let's just take a few minutes. Let's close our eyes. Let's focus in on the Lord. Just ask Him to show you what you look like to Him as we worship Him.